Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me today I have club member and friend of the podcast Alan Greenhalge and the club's Julia Registrar Andrew Chelly. Good afternoon, Good afternoon Guy. gentlemen. Hello Guy, how are you doing? Doing great, thank you. We're here to talk about the Tribe Days 2 event, which happened a couple of weeks ago now. Alan, you were at Tribe Days 1, which was, I guess it wasn't Tribe Days 1 then, was it? It was just Tribe Days. Uh, So give us a little bit of context as to what these events are, how they were set up, and how they run. Yeah, so Tribe Days 1 was based in Bolocco and Monza and was held in 2022. It was just a really fabulous event. And so we weren't sure whether there was going to be another event like it and how Alpha might go about it. And I was quite surprised to receive an invite for Tribe Days 2. And I immediately started trying to figure out where it was and who was going and uh, and, and things like that, because it, I, I was damn sure I was signing up. Like some things that Alpha do, it was a little bit chaotic to get all signed up and um, things changed a little bit and we sent off our application and didn't hear anything for a while and then eventually we started getting emails from Italy and it was clear that we had secured a place. Okay. It was good to be part of it. So what's the, I I know they were slightly different from from one to the next, but but what's the format? Who gets an invite? What what goes on at these things? Yeah, it. It's it's not clear, and there, there appears to be some criteria that only becomes obvious as you start going through it. And in 2022, when we went to Bolocco and Monza, it was strongly influenced around the international clubs and the GTA, GTAM owners. And that was significant because the GTA and GTAM owners got an invite as part of the purchase of the car. And so other than your travel and um, hotels to get there, Alfa Romeo covered everything else, which was great. And the difference to Tribe Days 2 is that you had to pay your way and there were a couple of levels of ticket that you could that you could buy if you were offered. There was a there was a gold package and there was a silver package. Okay. And is this 10 or 15 cars from around Europe or 200 or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between, but closer to the 200 than, than the 10 or 20. The theme seemed to be around anniversary and, and obviously things Quattrofolio was on the invite and you know that's where we collaborated with Andrew and and was was great for him to come down and I'm sure he'll tell you about that and also the 4C and the 8C owners were invited as well which I'm sure has something to do with anniversaries and and, and things like that so there were quite a lot of really interesting classic Alphas there as well. Uh, you know, some 105 series cars were strongly represented. There was quite a few four Cs as you would expect, and the the GTA and GTAM owners were strongly represented with a handful of uh, Quattrofolios, uh, Julia Quattrofolios as, as well. I didn't see an 8C there, which was interesting. Right. Well, particularly for you, and we'll come back to that probably later on in the podcast. But sure. <laughs> so, Andrew, how, how did you? 
find out about the event and, and get involved? They all started around uh, sometime earlier. I started so smiling because uh, laughing because the way it was, I agree with Alan. It's certain. Okay, is this uh, some marketing stint? Because the way that the initial email was structured to me that I received sometime in the early days of April, I don't know. It was strange. You said, "What is this all about?" And it carried out a very close deadline. So, so if you want to show your interest, attend to this event. You only go. I literally counted less than a working week. I was in that process. I was away with the family. I simply decided, okay, leave it there. And I got this needs to be planned. It's not something I want to do when I'm on holiday. There comes a second email, at which point now starting getting curious, said, now, A, why am I getting this? Therefore, immediately after, I ping Alan. And even though we never spoke about on, on WhatsApp, I could sense even WhatsApp, he was asking himself, so why did Andrew receive an email? <laughs> Now, that triggered a bit of a, they, they, fair enough, uh, they, they extended the deadline to actually attend to beginning of May, at which point they said, okay, no, no, I'm going to give it a shot, especially because it's the centenary of Quarifolio. But me being me, I went above and beyond and I started uh, sending out emails to the actual uh, team, the organization. And I explained the role of being, you know, part of the Alfa Romeo Owners Club in the UK, specifically having the role of the registrar. So therefore, I have quite a few quad owners, but I started pinging a few of them without saying too much because I didn't want to sort of trigger too much. And no one, no one had received the same email that I did. So I said, well, there's something strange here because if the criteria is being an owner of a quad where there's a Stelvio Julia, these other guys should have received it. So ultimately, to fast forward this to when we actually got there, and I managed to meet quite a few guys from Alfa Romeo, and and I mentioned a few names because they gave me quite 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 some help in two hours of passion that developed across Saturday. I asked the guy, said, tell me, why? what was the criteria? Well, no, the criteria needs to be a uh, uh, Julia portfolio owner, Stelvio portfolio owner, and as Alan pointed out, an 8C or 4C. Yes, yeah, but a lot of people have not received these emails. So Alfa Romeo's point in that, then you understand, is this. When you eventually had bought the car, there must have been privacy forms where you had to give your consent. If you hadn't given the consent for receiving anything, anything in material regarding events, you would be cut off completely. Now, obviously, in 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 the days, uh, in the times that we're living, we want to be obviously left alone. We don't want to be bombarded. And naturally, I can understand a lot of people may have said, no, I do not give the consent. Ultimately, though, there was a chance for inviting people, even if they haven't received the original email from Alpha. It's just that at that time, it got very close to the deadline. And as Alan pointed out, the top tier, you wouldn't say it was a cheap weekend, but it's also very exclusive. And obviously, it carried out a certain cost, which I can understand not everyone would be prepared to, uh, to sustain. But that's what I found out afterwards, because again, Alan rightly saw how this started off as something to serve a very, very exclusive club, which was the GTA and GTA owners. What's going on now? How is this getting extended? I think going back to the chaotic approach by Alpha, but again, you could argue that is the Italian creativity to you, another way of seeing it. <laughs> I think by issuing the initial tier, bear in mind there was only one when we subscribed and which we were transforming to the gold uh, status. 
they realized they were not getting enough traction. So then they've issued a second tier. They obviously made away with a few perks that, say, me and Alan enjoyed, the hospitality and and, uh, and and other things that obviously could allow more people to join. And I think probably that helped moving forward. Probably it'll be interesting to see how Alfa Romeo, if they decide to carry on in the, in, in the years to come with a similar event every year, whether they're going to change the format. But it started off as a very selective group of people but now I think they want to widen up the audience. Uh, now it will be interesting to see every year what they find as a pole of attraction. Again, yeah. this year was a centenary for me. What the, who was the main driver? So there's a, there's a very clear lesson here, which is if if you ask Alfa Romeo not to contact you, they'll leave you alone. Yeah, definitely, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I I, I think the other lesson here, and I, I I've mentioned this to various people at Alpha UK, is it would be good if they did a bit of work on their CRM uh, customer relationship management systems and just made sure that people they wanted that wanted to be communicated with were getting communicated with and I've passed that message back quite strongly yeah I had a conversation with uh, recently over something completely different around a, a Tonale test drive with similar communication problems and uh, I know you're in the IT industry Alan so you'll you'll appreciate this one but their response was ah uh, yeah well we're implementing a new CRM system I I, I won't say which one it was yeah ex- exactly I, I just reminded them that I I seem to have bought every car they've sent along to me so um, <laughs> perhaps getting a new CRM system is a priority I hope they yeah. I hope they get it right because yeah, no, I mean they do have one so it's it's about how they use it and and the data they start off with and how they keep that data up to date so we'll, we'll what, see. what I what I will say though is that once once Alpha UK got in there in their stride and, and to be fair I think sometimes they don't get the communication from Italy that they would want it, it was really good and, um, and uh, Alpha UK sent um, uh, a representative out to make sure that we all had a good time and um, and, and that was really appreciated yeah I mean and, and we you know I think every every owner of every type of car knocks the manufacturer but the support we've had from from Alpha UK as a club over the last couple of years has been phenomenal I think there were three members of the management team from Alpha UK at National Alpha Day this weekend. So there's there's a lot more engagement with with us as a club, which I think is great. It is great. In terms of the UK representation, then, how, do we know roughly how many UK attendees there were? Do we know exactly how many there were? Yeah, I think there were six, weren't there, Andrew? There was five GTAs or GTAMs and Andrew in the Quattrofolio. I wasn't aware of anyone else from the UK contingent about, uh, I think we would have noticed them if they were. So funny, funny number plates. Yeah, exactly. Or, or no number plates, but that's another story. Um, yeah. So we, with, with Andrew's help, we got a bit of a plan together to make sure that everyone kind of coordinated on, on our travel plans, which sort of worked. I think shepherding Alfa Romeo owners is much like shepherding cats. We all got there in the end and it was a lot of fun, but but it wasn't quite clear who was on what train. And But we, we all ended up in a bit of a convoy heading down to uh, south of Paris for the, for the first stop. And we all got there successfully, despite getting worryingly close to clouds of smoke from the riots in Paris. <laughs> yes. Uh, we saw that too. So at some point we were obviously approaching where we were going to stay 
the first night, had my brother on my side. I said, well, look, you're standing in uh, standstills traffic, but don't tell me I haven't shown you Paris. Look in the distance. <laughs> I can see the Eiffel Tower. Okay, literally you could see. But then as soon as you would move your, your eyesight towards the right, I said, okay, that is a quite a column of black smoke coming out. And we both look at each other. I said, yeah, we nodded as if to say that's connected to what's going on. It could have, could have just been a Tesla, to be fair. Or it could have been that Tesla, yeah, rightly yeah. so. But. Yeah. Um, so the journey down was, I think, reasonably reasonably smooth, if not if not quite as coordinated as as it could have been. You mentioned the the magazine article uh, earlier on. Now we've got probably about ten or fifteen percent of our uh, podcast listeners are from outside the UK, so may not have have oh, read okay. read the um, the magazine article. Little convoy. Little photo session, I think, impromptu photo session outside um, to outside Calais on on arrival. Well, that's my fault, yeah. Because <laughs> given the fact that I boarded early, thirty minutes, because I completely missed the exit to go into this lounge where we could then gather together, literally at the Eurotunnel terminal of Folkestone, and that's my fault, obviously. Uh, I said no. Well, uh, I'm heading in front, so I'm getting there early. Agree with Alan uh, that there was another petrol station, literally five minutes minutes away from coming out the at the other end so we stood there and as I sort of um, written on the article I'm there having my my sandwich with my brother uh, weather's not particularly good it's drizzling but then I can see this bit of an army of of young guys all with high-vis jackets okay and said well, I wonder what they're doing but I see they're all geared up with phones and cameras and literally they they seem to be going ballistic every time there is some Something uh, you know worthy of attention on four wheels coming through the courtyard. So that gave me an idea. I said, "Tell you what, I got given the fact you know this lot." And this is the five. Sla- I, I can't remember if it was actually six. So you say it's five GTAMs, uh, then Alan. I remember there was six anyway. Wait, let's say there were five. I said uh, to one of the guys, uh, trying to obviously make myself understood, uh, there are five Alfa Romeo Julia GTAs and GTAMs coming. Initially, didn't didn't process. At some point, the marvels of technology. You take your phone out. You search for an image of the car. You show it and you just point the finger and say, there's five of these coming. And that point, the penny dropped. And honestly, this guy, so apparently this is a stretch of road that that ultimately is, is a dual carriageway that looks very much like a, like a motorway. It heads into, so obviously you can exit it to get into the, into the petrol station, but it's actually, well, it takes you to wherever you want to go, whether it's towards Paris, towards Dunkirk. And then these guys are actually ready to block the two, the dual carriageway to make, to carry out photo shoots. <laughs> and he started to try to describe to me the way he wanted to see all the different, um, the formation of the GTA. So he could take a picture, said, look, this is going a bit above and beyond. I know they're going to come. You'll have plenty of choices, but uh, but ultimately we did. And when the guys came along, you could see they literally jumped on that because the guy then said, we know how, how rare these these are and therefore you know we 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 take no prisoners and that's why in the article i mentioned the fact that the god knows how much material got loaded up in that half an hour into <laughs> instagram because the guys literally we we, we made their day and uh i'm fair to alan and they were really really sort of accommodated i think mike hilton even allowed one of the guys to jump into the driver's seat and he started revving the engine i said <laughs> okay that that i'm actually quite impressed i 
I don't know yeah. if I would have done that on mine, but still. <laughs> well, as as the guy had the car bouncing off the rev, rev limiter, Mike Hilton was looking seriously concerned and managed <laughs> to extract him from the driver's seat, thinking that yeah. might not have been his cleverest choice. But someone someone else made a remark and said, "Hey, what about if he drives away?" And then Mike, <laughs> Mike showed showed his fob and he started walking away. So obviously, the, the further he could walk away with his fob, the, yeah. The, the, <laughs> well, well, at least it had a rev limiter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so we'd we'd been in France literally two minutes, and already we were. Um, in the thick of it, but what was just so that amazing? Was drive days one point five. Yeah, exactly. But yes. what was amazing on on the even on the 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 French motorways down south, there were there were you know young boys mostly standing on motorway overpasses waiting for anything that looked a bit unusual to come past, and were taking photos. And you know th- th- this is a this is a new experience for me. I have to say. So. The first destination in France was... I'm going to say this wrong. Monterey, south of Paris. Okay. Yeah. A, a historic but still active race circuit. Oh, let me add one thing, guys. Sorry. Let me mm-hmm. add one thing. Before we got to the first side, you talk about, say, the appearances. But again, and this is where, in a very friendly way, I describe this group as the lot. You want to stay with them under a tunnel. <laughs> Trust me. There was no... I don't know about Alan. I know Alan fairly well now, and I don't think I... But there were quite a few guys that literally you could have been traveling in fourth or fifth gear. They were literally keeping the second and just going. Because ultimately, in most of these tunnels, especially when you're going close to to big cities like Paris is full of speed cameras. So the best the best you can do is 40 miles an hour. And the guys were still able to make one hell of a noise in the tunnel by just simply doing those short bursts together. T- tunnels to were go- designed for Alfa Romeo engines. Well, just to keep a low profile. That's my point. You know, is it that- <laughs> <laughs> I-, I just like to point out from a personal level that no French laws were broken at any no, stage yes, of this journey. I trust yeah. us on that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we 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 got down to the the, the circuit and we went. A really interesting place. So I'd never heard of heard of it before, but it's got a really serious banking. Like I think someone told me it's about fifty degrees at the top, and it really looks like it. And it's a huge place. It it's not obvious quite how large it is, but the street circuit disappears off into the forest and and, and returns, and it's um, clearly a lot of history there. Someone told me that Alfa Romeo's first race victory was there, which I'm not sure I fully understand that, but um, <laughs> yeah, you're more of a historian than I am, Guy, but... Uh, I'll it, Google it before the end of the podcast. It, it, was all, it was all set out with Italian and French flags, and um, the Alfa Romeo team were there waiting for us for the day and they split all of the cars into groups so that they could manage the activities for the day and the hospitality started and I, I, I must say that um, you know in, 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 like Tribe Days 1 Tribe Days 2 was fully supported by Alfa Romeo corporate they were all there and they really took care of us I, not just you know PR and hospitality people but, but some engineers I understand <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Sorry. And, and <laughs> we, we, we quickly learned that you can't put 
a quattrofolio on a 50 degree banking without its sensors going completely nuts and it triggering <laughs> check engine lights. So the they had one engineer with a with a laptop resetting cars, and they had to bring in a second one because there were so many to reset. But the the quick rule they gave us was uh, when you get up onto the banking, don't go too slow. Don't go yes. under a hundred kilometers an hour, otherwise the car's going to think it's rolling over and the check engine light's going to come on. But what they did at the end was they slowed the session down with a bit of a parade lap, which meant everyone dropped below a hundred <laughs> kilometers an hour. And it was it was Christmas tree dash lights is from one end of the parade to 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 the other. And um, of course, the four C owners had none of this business; they were all fine. So so that all got sorted. I understand, Andrew. You you hinted in the um, the article that there were some there were some other non banking related um, challenges. As Alan explained, the we were divided in groups, but there were also were there four different tests, Alan, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's four groups divided in order to take it in shifts and do the. Uh, if you're referring to the low grip test, is that the one you're referring to that I mentioned uh, in the article? Uh, well, tell us tell us about that one. I think there was another story, but well, t- tell us about that well, one. Let's start with this one because ultimately this was uh, my first one. Okay, so we literally inaugurated the track experience with the low grip. I could argue that actually it was better that way because I understood that Alan and I believe you were Mike Hilton too in the same group. So you came yeah. afterwards. When we got to lunch uh, on the rooftop, of uh, of uh, this this building here, yeah, I have to say, we started obviously sharing thoughts about the the two tests that we did, and the first one was obviously the low grip, and everybody everybody wanted to show off their drifting skills. Now, Alpha did their best to water the surface. There was a mix of Stelvios. I was in a group where there were more, let's say, Stelvio quad quads and Julia quads, and there were a couple of four Cs. You go in. First time going carefully because you know how happy it can be, the Julia especially in race, but nothing happened. Okay. Then you start daring a little bit more, then a little bit more up to a point that you're really practically driving like a hooligan because you want to try to get it out of line. And what's frustrating is that when you do not want it to go out of line, the thing goes out of line, especially if you're in a normal road. But when you're on track in a very controlled environment, when you want something to happen, Murphy's Law, it doesn't. And even Mike, who, as we know, has got quite uh, quite some skills, he said to me, I don't know if it's because in the meantime, our first test was on track. So therefore, the tires went up to sort of almost boiling temperature. So therefore, they were sticky as hell. There was no way I could even put my GTM out of line. You know, there was too much grip. So that that was a, that was that was interesting in a sense that you know uh, yeah you mentioned the weekend uh, at national alpha and obviously we know that these cars especially the quads whether they're in stable configuration or julia they got plenty under the bonnet it, it, it is definitely possible to get the back end up oh it's definitely possible but what was funny is that with a wet surface um, i had tires that are almost cold because that was my first test nevertheless only at the last attempt i managed to get a little bit of something going on just to show off but not much that was it i would say that the primary thing going back to the ECU, i would just add this uh when when alan pointed that out the fact that and remember you do not go slow on the parabolic and on a 50 degree banking angle trust me your brains will tell you otherwise it's not it's not the first thing you would think about doing but nevertheless the guys managed to resolve even though with some additional uh, engineering support so, so i i maybe I've got hold of the wrong end of the stick, but I think 
as well as the challenges of getting the back end out i think one of the other things that's quite tricky to do in a in a car with keyless entry is to lock yourself out of it oh yeah um, but that was the following day yeah, okay that, that was the following day it comes uh, later guy the, the yeah. best part is going to come that that actually Montlery was apart from the ecus going bonkers uh, all the rest was very much under control so i would say definitely i enjoyed it i enjoyed it and, and again what i would highlight is that given the nature of the track as alan pointed out historic track even you could argue that points the surface wasn't as you would expect it you know for those of us who have been to say grand satch or silverstone you compare that the surface wasn't really clear but what was most scary is the thing it was how close the concrete walls were out of the bends and it, it tells you a lot about the story about how tracks have evolved in in these decades in order to drive safety and, and things like that but no all in all i think i was impressed with see not only you had a group of people which shared a passion you know for alpha uh romeos uh, but the actual overall driving skills was quite good because I have not witnessed any anything substantial, and there could have been situations where you could have lost control of it. Because, uh, and bear in mind, and this is the last point on uh, on Larry. Speaking about pace cars, it's a lot. I think is my first time I've been behind a pace car 140 miles an hour. Alan did though warn me because even at Balocco, apparently the story goes that when they went out. They couldn't keep up with the pace car. He was just, <laughs> he just shot out, you know, it, it was just there. Uh, so, yeah, re- really, yeah. really fun. Yeah, they, they, they were challenging tasks that they set. And, and and I must say, Guy, that when you pull out onto the circuit and they follow the pace car and the pace car is a GTAM with, with blue lights on top, <laughs> you, know, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> and um, particularly when there's an Italian behind the wheel, that they were really going for it. I, and, one of the challenges uh, with pro drivers is they often forget they are in fact aliens, and that <laughs> but them ta- them taking it easy and setting the pace is. So I, I had the pleasure of being in the track session with just Mike Hilton and myself behind the pace car. And um, Mike was right behind the pace car and was definitely pushing him along. And he was <laughs> responding by going quicker and quicker. And I was trying to st- uh, hang with Mike and uh, we kept catching the group in front of us. It was, no, that, but the point, the point is they put on some really good challenging sessions and the, you know, you really felt you'd had a full day really yeah. at, at the end of it. And talking of aliens, we, we should uh, not directly related to the conversation, but we should point out that in the meantime, uh, Mike's had his first Alfa Romeo championship win in the 4C. So uh, yep. maybe he learned a little bit from, from following the pace car at Mont Laurier. Maybe. Okay. Okay, so full action-packed day. Did you spend the evening in Montlaurie or did you make the transfer the same day? No, we we, we had dinner at uh, Le Mans waiting for us and all we had to do was get the 120 kilometres <laughs> down the road. Obeying all French laws at all times. And and get into the circuit, which I'm sure Andrew will describe was 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 not easy. But we, we set off about mid-afternoon. Our hotel was on the northern side of Le Mans, so we made a quick stop at the hotel and got checked in. And n- none of us being fashion experts could really understand the dress code for the circuit, <laughs> which was um, sport sheet, whatever that is. I, to this day, I still don't know what that is. So uh, we, we we managed to get there and um, getting into the circuit was an absolute nightmare. I think it took us about an hour and a half to navigate the last five miles into the circuit. But eventually, eventually we arrived 
and managed and, and Alpha were absolutely fantastic. They were waiting for us and got us straight into the hospitality suite and uh, we, we just caught the end of Jean-Philippe's welcome to the group and uh, we had a, a really good first evening with the Alfa Romeo management team, uh, which was just amazing. So uh, the, the traffic, Andrew, was was a challenge. Well, I think, I think that was uh, a taster of what we were going to experience the following day. Again, rightly or wrongly, you tend to make comparisons about big events here in the UK. And the first one comes to mind, which I... Personally, I must admit I've never dared, and I don't know if I got the courage to even dare to attend a Formula One uh, weekend at Silverstone because people that went there said it's just crazy. So with that in mind, I thought, okay, well, Leman, yeah, but the people, and and uh, going back to, to to Alan, you could see the buildup of the excitement. And I think there was also an element of this year, let's not forget, it wasn't just the centenary of the Quadrifoglio. It was also the centenary of both the Le Mans and the Le Mans Classic. Yeah. So I think that probably was quite a pull of attraction for quite a lot of people that just obviously wanted to say, hey, I was there. We went through this little town, Alan, I, I don't know if you did the same route on the first evening when we I got there massively late. And Andrew, I was in the back seat of your car. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. No, yeah. I'll tell you why. Because the following we'll day, we'll take that. Take that as a probably then. The, the <laughs> yeah. following day, I completely forgot about that because the following day, Alan probably thought, "Tell you what, I'm going to do my own thing." Because literally, it took it, us. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't your fault, Andrew. But but, guy, what what Andrew's um, talking about is we we had to make our way through the the village of Anage, which um, those that have been to Le Mans before know can be completely crazy. So the, the the bars literally hang out onto the streets, and everyone is excited to see every car that's going past and is trying to encourage them to make as much noise as possible. The the, the message here is when. If you're a resident of Arnage, move out when it's Le Mans weekend because it was absolute chaos. But we we managed to get down there and Alpha had sorted out parking for the group, which was just really close to the hospitality suite. Uh, you know, that was the point where everyone gathered each day before heading into to the circuit. And it was just so good to have parking literally right in the paddock. And, you know, what, you know, picking up on what Andrew said about comparing it to something like the British Grand Prix, I, I'd not been to Le Mans before, but when you look at a map, it becomes obvious that the circuit is about three times as long as the Silverstone GP circuit. And there are people camping and staying and watching all the way around. So it literally is a city over the weekend. And and it feels like it. There's everything going on there with, with the added complication of course that if it you know the the analogy with silverstone would be that the um the a43 isn't it would be the main straight at silverstone on grand prix weekend yes because they're public roads yeah exactly and and of course they're closed exactly when quarter of a million people want to get in there so once we had figured out where the car park was and could navigate the, the signage and and the maps that alpha had given us as part of the attendees pack it was stress-free to know that we could get in there and and, and stuff and um it wasn't too far back to the hotel we were where we were all staying as well so it was pretty good i would i would add the you know the parking that for me was a first because it, again if you even go to silverstone 
now. Uh, we were more recently at Brands Edge. Okay, you got a car display, but it doesn't really happen that often that you actually allow within the premises. And that's where I have to say, that's where they say, okay, now I, I can sense that sort of exclusive kind of character of this event, because uh, obviously going back to Alan's point, this is where you could argue the, where the, the treatment uh, by Alfa Romeo was, was top notch. Um, again, the only thing is I remember from that evening is that when we got finally to the hospitality where uh, the first person that greeted me was actually Jean-Philippe Imperato because probably he was thinking who are these people getting <laughs> after after I've done my presentation or my introduction who are these people so uh, no but really 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 nice guy really really friendly and uh, yeah and, and from there you know I thought okay this this, this is special a- Andrew I can outdo you because <laughs> One day, uh, yeah, I think the second day I pulled into the car park in, in my GTAM, which has quite a memorable number plate on it. And um, Jean-Philippe was was out supervising the car parking and just greeting people. And he spotted the number plate on my car and was delighted to see it and asked if he could have a look at my car, which delighted me no end. And I have a great photo of him and I standing next to my car, which I will cherish for some time. We're, we're currently negotiating as to whether that's going to be the label for the podcast, but All right. um, uh, Alan, okay. Alan's quite modest, so um, that might take, take some more persuasion. So yeah, and uh, again, for, for those of you who are outside the UK and not, not regular readers of the magazine, Alan's, Alan's GTAM is one of the more subtle ones. Um, it, <laughs> <laughs> in in red with an attra- Italian tricolor down the the center of it, and that registration number is, and I'll get this right. I hope it's it's actually A R E five E, but at, at any distance, even close up, looks like it says a racy. So that that's what uh, what caught Jean Philippe's attention. Yeah, it did. Except my father in law thinks it says ass, and um... it, he's not he's not the first. But no. <laughs> But there you go. It's always good to be noticed, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so the, the 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 point here, guy, is that the alpha management team did a really fantastic job of making us feel special. You, I, I certainly felt we got more than we thought we were going to get. It way exceeded expectations, and and. One of the highlights for the, and there were many, of the first evening is each of the um, senior management team just pulled up a chair at a table in the hospitality suite and spent all the time we wanted with us. I had an hour drinking beer with um, Daniello, the head of product, and I asked him everything I wanted to know about GTAM program, how it came about, and they were just open, answered anything we wanted to talk about, and it was a very fun evening for an Elfisti. Were you taking notes? Because I can see another article coming on. I took notes before the third beer, but after that, I don't know. Yeah, no, it was it was great, and um, it, it, it looked like they were enjoying themselves as well, which was so. Was this um, fun. this this the night before the classic Le Mans race started? Yeah, I one night kind of merges into another, <laughs> but um, yeah. So so obviously. Le Mans Classic runs 24 hours a day. The start of the racing is at 4 p.m. on the Saturday. 
and they do all kinds of activities, practice runs, qualifying, all kinds of stuff. And um, the hospitality suite was the main center of where everyone was, but there was also a box in the grandstand and you could move between the two and get a similar amount of uh, hospitality. Obviously, the box in the grandstand was a little bit smaller, but um, the, the highlight for me on the early morning was um, we, we got asked if we wanted to do a hot lap in the press cars and uh, w- with a professional Alfa Romeo driver, uh, n- not us after we'd been drink- drinking beer, as you understand. <laughs> and because everyone knows who uh, in motorsport that these things always run late. So we were ready to go at 11.30, but we didn't get out onto the circuit until 1.15 a.m. And by this time, it had started to rain heavily. And so it was all looking like it was going to be a bit of fun. So uh, a, a few of us were out there. Mike Hilton was in uh, one car and we were in a, the new anniversary Stelvio, which, by the way, was exactly the right car for torrential rain around the Le Mans circuit. And out we went. I had the good foresight of putting, putting my wife, Tanya, into the passenger seat with the professional driver while I sat in the back seat. And um, he didn't hold back. We were... I, I will have the fondest memories of careering down the Mulsanne Strait at 240 kilometers an hour in the pouring rain in Estelvio and uh, passing all the Julia Quattrofolios who were all two-wheel drive, of course. <laughs> and uh, we flew past them. It was it was a fantastic evening. So once we finally got done with the evening, it was very late indeed. I've always wondered whether they considered doing a, a Stelvio GTA and GTA M. And it doesn't quite fit, but I mean, it doesn't fit in the same way Quadrifoglio kind of doesn't fit an SUV. So I, I wonder if it was ever ever discussed. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. I wonder. Well, considering it's, it's, it's a fair point, Guy, because if, if you think about uh, to which extreme you say Aston Martin or Porsche, now I think I've read about something that the next Cayenne, the top end, is, is well north of 700 horsepower. And you argue, wow, I can only imagine they did quite a lot of work on the geometry and the suspension of that in order to make sure that the thing doesn't roll at the, on the first bend, because clearly, yeah. So you do have, yeah, I think it's just that. It's uh yeah, it's a magnificent beast. And when the following morning, Alan told me all about this and the way he described this, uh, yeah. And obviously, it's one of the things. This this one only regret I have that I haven't. Well, I didn't take the, the the chance to actually do it myself. But anyway, that'll be for the next time. So, as I understand it, there wasn't quite the same degree of coordination about the return journey. So people kind of left when whenever was convenient for people to leave. Yes, that was the that was the idea. Alan Fair fed him. I think one one thing I have to shout out to Lat Alan, and not just because he's on this podcast, is the fact how good he was in helping with the planning. And he was also very wise to say, Andrew, bear in mind, this is going to be physical because you tend to end your day pretty late and you wake up at the crack of dawn. So there's not really that much stress. At the same time, if you think about a track session for those who are listening, who knows what a track day is, is physical, especially for you that you're not a racing driver, you don't actually do workouts actually to prepare physically for that. 
is quite intense, let alone, you know, all, all your senses and emotions are, are off the charts. And that obviously is a bit of a drain. So Alan, I think rightly so decided to take it easy. I had some commitments work-wise. So I told Alan when it was Sunday morning, I would start making my way back. And um, I did cross one of the GTA guys, Damon, um, but then he steered towards Eurotunnel. And me, since I didn't have that much of a good experience with the first leg on the train, I decided to go on a ferry this time. <laughs> so so I, I i'm not gonna let it go we did talk we we skipped over the um yes the, okay the, the technicality okay <laughs> so it, it i would not say that was the pinnacle of saturday because saturday actually it was a full day they treat us to a paddock tour which that itself gave me the they said i i don't know about you alan to me it was never ending this paddock area of le mans is never ending you know it's the the places you could see cars parked ready to go on track, because again, the format of the 24-hour classic is slightly different. It's not just one big race that lasts for 24 hours in a go. They're actually different categories, typically competing one hour each. But it's this because there's this uh, sequence of, of different races, you end up with a 24-hour event. So obviously, you've got many different cars getting prepared at different times to go in at different uh, in different slots. And that was quite uh, something, despite we had some some wet uh, weather in the morning. And then in the afternoon, going back to Alan, uh, when he made that remark, the officially the actual racing events to start at four o'clock. That's where I made a bit of a discovery that let's say that I was <clears throat> much lighter in uh, a bag I was carrying, which was uh, containing my wallet and my fob. And thank God I actually needed to buy something for one of my children, because only then I realized that I was uh, very light, to which point I realized that uh, someone managed to uh, steal both the wallet and also the Faraday pooch with the fob of the Julian side. Now, Alan will say, please don't go on with your wallet, again, about your wallet. And I have to say, all the time, the wallet wasn't my worry, because I no, you can do all sorts of things with the phone you block cards you do everything my biggest worry was i couldn't get back in my car and ultimately knowing that someone had my fob if they were that organized because let's say it happened practically in an area where i don't know how they managed to get access because there was quite high security with badges so we had a grandstand just reserved to us but nevertheless uh, let's call them these guys that do this as a job they probably got quite a set of skills to manage to get to infiltrate in areas where they're not supposed to be. Uh, so I thought to myself, what well, if he was that clever enough to get there? I'll tell you what, I'm going to rush now to the parking area. And I literally not going to move away from my car because my only hope to get hold of get back in the is car that is he tries to steal your car. He's got to actually <laughs> wait for this guy to turn up and try his luck, and you know, pressing the button and see which car will uh, light up the indicators, and therefore that will be the sign. And this is where I started alerting some of the guys out from air, which I have to say, two names are mentioned also in the article because literally they've been terrific. Uh, it, uh, speaking about not just being treating us uh, as really being a special group of people, but literally looking after um, this guy, Marco from uh, from comms at some point says, look, Andrew, if you need to go anywhere, go, I will be here and that car will not move from here. And it was the way he said it as if to say, 
it sounded like a like a threat, you know. Where was gonna <laughs> don't even try that, that sort of thing. But anyway, the story goes is that after two hours, uh the uh, local gendarmerie, which was alerted by by Alfa Romeo, managed to retrieve both the wallet, empty, obviously, but the push with the fob still in it. So clearly, whoever it was took it thinking God knows what it was in there, but he, he couldn't be bothered. He was just after the cards. And in fact, I had to then sort out a few things with my banks uh, the, the, the following week. But the funny things were that one of the engineers that we had at Montelleri was very, very busy resetting ECUs was also on standby there. So he got called in too. And as you may know, in the forum, and that's one of the, let's say, one of the perks of uh, being an Arab member is that obviously you have access to our forum where we tend to share quite some interesting uh, news or concerns about security as a whole. And there are a few, which I'm not going to sort of uh, say too much about it. There's a few, let's say, flaws that could allow some some someone well equipped to gain access and entry to you know to to one of the cars so i asked this engineer in a very please tell me that you have a backdoor to get into my car without the fob and he said look and he was italian so i started chatting in italian with him so if i did i would do it but i don't have what it takes and ultimately i wouldn't know how to do it so anyway again my only hope was to retrieve it managed to retrieve it and finally was able to at least rest assured that i could get back home somehow uh but lesson learned to all of you who are listening if you do have two fobs take the second one with you and don't leave it in your home uh say 600 miles away because that's going to be useless i was thinking Thinking for two hours, how could I grab hold of the second fob to get it uh, shipped, delivered in emergency there to Le Mans? But there was no option that uh, will allow me. The other funny thing that, um, again, with hindsight, when you, when you think about these events when they happen, you tend to start looking at the things that made you actually uh, smile. So out of all the theories, until we actually retrieve and the, the, the local police retrieve the wallet and the fob, uh, um, they said, okay, what if we can't do anything about it? Okay, well, we got the transporters. And one of the things I've highlighted on the article was the Alfa Romeo stand, which Alan will confirm was quite something for the cars that were there on display. So obviously the transporter was transporting those cars and um, practically they said look worst comes to the worst we do have space for yours we'll put it on our transporter and i was already thinking they'll tell you what the julia would be honored to be sitting on the side of the 33 stradale that would be quite <laughs> something but then on second thought i said yeah but the transporter was heading to a razor so if i wanted to go and get my car back first i had to get back home get my second fob get on a flight fly to milan and then get <laughs> Visit, visit the museum. I mean, it, it's not, it's not, yeah, not all bad, is it? It wasn't. But There's it's, worse it's not... places that you have to visit, Andrew, than a racing. Yeah, no, no. But speaking about making you feel special, to think that Alpha would have actually put that in place in the event the car could not be regained access into. It, it goes down to Alan's point, the fact that whoever was there, you could rest assured you were really well, well looked after. Now, fortunately, all things got resolved. Um, and obviously, I'll make sure that next time I'll be carrying both fobs with me. That sounds like a, a fantastic event. Any any hints at this one as to whether there'll be a tried days three and, and where it might be? Yes. So... Jean-Philippe said during his remarks that it was going to be something that they would continue with. 
and that they had shortlisted two venues that they were checking out for next year. So my ears immediately pricked up and I'm like, I'm going. If, if, an, if I'm lucky enough to receive an invite next year, I'm already free that weekend whenever it is. <laughs> Well, and assuming that 939 Spiders and Tonales are not the featured vehicle, if anybody's got a spare seat, um, I'd, I'd love oh, well. to hitch a ride. Well, he, here's the thing with GTAMs. They've only got two seats. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure, Guy, um, you, you, you can get out there. But the the rumor is that it's either Nürburgring or Magello. And personally, I would love for it to be Magello, and I have made the point but it's not clear. Can you imagine flooring a Giulia quad or a GTAM on the straight of Mugello? Yeah, fantastic. There, need, there definitely need to be some guidelines on the breaking points on the first <laughs> end, definitely. Yeah. So it, so I'm, I'm really impressed that they seem to be taking this join the tribe thing really seriously. And uh, all, all I would say is that if you do get an opportunity to go to a Tribe Days at least once, uh, sign up. It, 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 is, it is a lot of money, but you get a lot for it. And uh, it, it, it's really fantastic. And I have left one loose end hanging, I think, from the earlier on in the podcast. Uh, you said there were no um, no eight Cs at this year's event, certainly not from the UK. Um, four Cs and GTAs and GTAMs and and Julius. I sounds like you're in a position. In fact, I know because I've seen it. You're in a position to to fix that for them next year. Uh, yes, we uh, are lucky to have welcomed a really lovely white eight C spider um, to to our garage to be a garage mate with the GTAM and uh, I'm absolutely delighted about it and we were very pleased to bring it to National Alpha Day um, a couple of days ago. Brilliant. I think a big thank you has to go to Alpha Romeo, Jean-Philippe's management team and Alpha UK for getting us there um we, we felt really well supported and and it was it was a privilege to be there definitely no doubt about that thank you very much gentlemen thank you Great for having us well that's it for this bumper episode we'll be back in four weeks time but between then and now we'll have had southern alpha day at chatham dockyard which was in full swing as this episode went live northern alpha day at lotherton hall near leeds on the 10th of september southwest alpha day at haynes museum on the 16th and the castle Coombe classic on the 23rd as well as the penultimate round of the Alfa Romeo Championship at Donington on the 23rd and 24th. And the episode will go live one weekend before the Midlands Italian Car Day, Mick Car, at Burley House on the 8th of October. So there's still loads more opportunities to polish those alphas and meet up with other club members all over the UK. Episode 85 will be available to download from 1.30pm on Sunday the 1st of October from iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else good podcasts are found. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. But until then, stay safe.